Similar to marriage, no one is prepared for the demands of caring for, training, guiding, and developing a child. This message is the eighth in the series, From Me to We. The message is entitled, Help, I'm a Parent, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word. This weekend, we're involved in a series of messages entitled From Me to We, and we've been involved in this for several weeks now. We've been talking primarily about marriage and family. And today, we're going to sort of shift gears, and we're going to go into another dimension of family life. We want to talk to you about parenting, and the title of our series for the next several weeks as a part of this Me to We series is Help, I'm a Parent. Anybody ever been there before? Help, I'm a Parent. We're going to talk about parenting. You might say, well, you know what, Pastor, I'm not a parent. I don't have kids or not married, whatever the case might be. And maybe you, you wonder if this message applies to you. As I've told you before, all these messages have application for our lives. And I think that all of us as adults should be very concerned about the next generation. Amen? And so whether you have kids or not, we all have a vested interest in raising up a generation that will be strong coming behind us. Now, being a biological parent really is a physical act, but actually being a real parent is something very different. Being a real parent involves a dimension of investment, engagement with your child that allows them to become the person that God created them to be. And so you're actually, when you become a parent, you're, think about this for a moment, you're training the next generation of human beings. You're actually training the next generation of family leaders, the next generation of church members and church leaders, the next generation of citizens and society workers and leaders that we're investing in a generation that is coming behind us. I like to remind people that we're not living our lives as adults as a sprint or a marathon. We're in a relay race. And so we're passing on our torch, our baton to those coming behind us. And to do so, we need to know how to do it well. Many of us, as we obviously would acknowledge when we first became parents, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. We had no idea how to raise children and what that was about. All we could do was lean on what we had experienced as a part of our background. And I want you to know that the Bible is very clear about how we are to raise children. There's many, many principles in Scripture that helps us to understand how to actually raise kids and how to invest in them appropriately or guidance that God will give us. And so we're going to be taking a look in the next several weeks at some of these principles that are found in the pages of God's Word. I'm going to share with you nine principles over four weekends, about two a weekend. One weekend we'll look at three of them, but today I'm going to be looking at two that will help us to really understand how to be the parent God wants us to be, because we cannot go from me to we without paying attention to the next generation. I'd like to start this weekend by pointing your attention to a book, a verse in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse number 6. I'd like to invite all of you to read it together with me aloud and loudly across our campuses. Let's read together. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Please notice this word, direct your children. To direct means this. It means that actually you're pointing the way for them. You're giving them a sense of where they ought to go with their life. Direct your children onto the right path, and here's the promise. When they're older, they will not leave it. Let me quickly add to this. This is not a guarantee that every child is going to turn out perfectly. It's not a guarantee that there will not be problems with our children, not at all. In fact, God had problems with His kids, did He not? He still has problems with His kids. 
Go back all the way to the book of Genesis, chapter 2 and chapter 3. You'll see that after God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, he had problems with them in terms of their obedience. And so we can do our best job, and it doesn't guarantee that our children are always going to do exactly what we want. But this is the right way to live our lives as parents. Direct your children onto the right path, and a promise we hold on to when they're older, they will not leave it. Let's look at this from the Passion Translation. Read together with me. Dedicate your children to God and point them in the way that they should go, and the values they've learned from you will be with them for life. Don't you like that? Dedicate your children to God. By the way, just as a reminder, your kids don't even really belong to you. Your kids are God's kids. They belong to Him, and you've been given a stewardship over them while they're with you. And so we're to dedicate our children to God and then, again, point them in the way that they should go. And I love this part, and the values they've learned from you will be with them for life. I can tell you that in my own life, raised in a Christian family with a mom and dad that loved God and served God, that I'm still carrying with me the values that I learned. I'm sure that many of you could testify to that in your life as well. Now, we're looking at this whole idea of how do we become this kind of parent, that we're dedicating our child to God, our children to God, and pointing them in the way that they should go so we can hold on to this promise that these values they learn from us will be kept throughout their life. How do we do this? And today I'm going to share with you, as I said, two principles that will help us begin to fulfill uh, our responsibility in terms of this particular Scripture passage. And the first thing I want to remind you of today, to be a great parent, you need to know the goal of parenting. The key word here is the word goal, the goal of parenting. I'll start by asking you this question, what is the value of any goal in your life? Why do you have goals? Why do you need to understand a goal? Well, a goal is very important because any goals that you have in life will clarify for you what you're trying to accomplish. Your goals inspire you. Your goals give you direction. Your goals define what a win is. And so when we talk about the goal of parenting, we're talking about What does it look like when we win as a parent? What is the end result? What is the bullseye of the target that we're shooting for? And the best way to know the goal of parenting is to look at the greatest parent of all, and the greatest parent of all is God himself. There is no greater parent than God. In fact, he refers to himself as father when Jesus taught us to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, he said, pray like this, our father which art in heaven. And so all throughout the pages of the Bible, we're pointed to God as the example of the perfect parent, the perfect heavenly father designed to care for our needs. So I want to take you on a quick journey through some scriptures that will point out to us how God parents us. And as we look at how God parents us, it helps us to know our goal as parents. The first verse is found actually in Matthew chapter 6. I think I went to the wrong verse there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Read together with me. Look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father, what does He do? He feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say that the Father does for us? He feeds not just a matter of taking care of us physically. He feeds us spiritually and emotionally. He nurtures our lives in valuable ways. So the Father is a feeder. Say it together. The Father is a feeder. Notice this next verse of Scripture, Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Twice in this verse, we find the word 
compassion. That word compassion means to connect with someone at an empathetic level. A key word here would be the concept of connecting. So the Father connects with us. He connects with our needs. He connects with our pain. He is with us as we go through our life journey. So the Father feeds, the Father connects. Notice this next verse that we see here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. And so what does the Father do? The great love the Father has for us. He's lavished on us, not impoverished. It's not a holding back of love, but a lavishing of love on us. So the Father, our great parent, Heavenly Father feeds us. Our great Heavenly Father connects with us in a loving way. He knows what's going on in our lives. Our Father loves us in a lavish way. This next verse reminds us of something about His love. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so we see that the love God has for us is a love that is void of Fear. That means that we can be secure in the Father's love. There's security in that love. So the Father feeds us, the Father connects with us, the Father loves us, and the Father gives security to our lives. Then this next verse, very important as well, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. I'll read it for you. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, what's the word here? Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here the Bible says that God gave us the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers as a gift from heaven to help us to become mature. And so it's part of the gifting of the Father and His desire to make us mature. So the Father feeds us. The Father connects with us. The Father loves us. The Father secures us. And the Father helps us to mature. There's maturity that comes from the Father. Hebrews 12, 8 and 9. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us as we, and we respected them for it. How much more should we sub submit to the Father of spirits and live? The key word here is discipline. So the Father disciplines us. So review with me again. What are we learning about God as our Father? He feeds us, not just taking care of us physically, but every realm of our life. He's a feeder. We learn that the Father is a connector with us. He's compassionate toward us. We learn that the Father has love that He lavishes on us. We understand that the Father's love brings security to our lives. There's no fear in that love. We learn that the Father wants to mature us, and the Father brings discipline in our life for the sake of making us into the person that God wants us to be. I'm glad to acknowledge today, and I think that you would acknowledge with me, I'm thankful for a good Heavenly Father, aren't you? Okay? Thankful for a good Heavenly Father. So I want to give you the goal of parenting. It's not on your notes. It will not be on the screen. But listen to me as I read for you what I believe the goal of parenting is based upon what we learn from God. The goal of being a parent is the development of a child into a healthy, mature, and responsible adult, living a significant life, enjoying a meaningful personal relationship with God, and fulfilling God's purpose for their life. Let me walk you through that again. Step by step, what is the goal of being a parent? Your goal as a parent 
is to make sure that you're doing everything you can to raise up a healthy, mature, responsible adult. That when you send them out, they're healthy, mature, and responsible. That they're living a significant life. Notice I didn't say successful because we all define success in different ways. But a significant life is a life that is filled with purpose and meaning. Enjoying a meaningful personal relationship with God. They know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And they're fulfilling God's purpose for their life. When you finish parenting and you send those boys and girls out, those young adults out, that's what you want them to be. That is a successful bullseye when it comes to parenting. Let me say something as well here. None of us will ever hit that bullseye 100%. I have two daughters, two adult daughters now, and and uh, wonderful sons-in-law and, and seven grandchildren. I have to tell you that my wife and I were not perfect parents. We did the best that we could along the way, but we made mistakes. You're going to make mistakes as a parent. Here's the good news. God's grace can cover your mistakes. Amen. Come on. God's grace can cover your mistakes. And so you don't lean back. Now, by the way, I'll also say this. Once you learn, you make a mistake, change. Amen? Once you've learned, you've done it the wrong way, find the right way to do it. But trust God over the mistakes you've made and now make adjustments where you need to make them and where you can make them. Let me digress just for a moment and say a couple of things about your job as a parent. Your job as a parent is to invest in your children. Your job as a parent is not to find fulfillment in your life from your children. Your job as a parent is not to live your dreams through your children. God has dreams for your children, and He wants you to facilitate the fulfillment of their dreams, but parenting isn't about you. Parenting is about them. And I will remind you today that with this goal in mind that we talked about a moment ago, that parenting is a job. Raising children is hard work that requires your attention and requires your energy. When you had kids, you need to understand that when you got that little baby that showed up in your world, you've got to understand you got a job at that moment. You got a responsibility from God Almighty to invest in them, to give them attention and energy and to sacrifice for them. They're going to require sacrifice and they're going to require your greatest efforts and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to spend all your money, okay? okay? That's what's going to happen, okay? That's the reality of being a parent. Parenting is a job that requires you to grow up. You have to subjugate your interests to the interests and plans and activities and the needs of your child. And if you're going to be a good parent, you've got to be an adult. Kids do ne never do a great job raising kids. And so if you're a kid today, if you haven't grown up and you've got kids, it's time for you to grow up. Amen? It's time for you to accept some responsibility in your own life. I got about four claps on that. I know the rest of you are just thinking about it. That's all right. No, no, no. It's too late now, okay? Far too late now, okay? But you got to grow up, okay? We got far too many kids raising kids. We got 35, 40-year-old kids trying to raise kids. Hey, it's time to grow up. Put the video games aside. Okay, man, okay? Put all the things you want to do with your life aside and say, you know what? I'm going to step up and I'm going to be a parent. Amen? I'm going to step up. I'm going to accept responsibility. I, it's about time I grew up. Say it together with me. It's about time I grew up. You might be 50 and you still need to say that, all right? It's about time I grew up. Notice what Paul said about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things like a child and reasoned like a child, but the day came when I did what? 
matured, and I set aside my childish ways. You will never be effective as a parent until you get the goal of what parenting is all about and grow up and say, it's my job to be a parent. I've got to invest. It's not about me any longer. It's about them. It's about the next generation. The next thing I'd like to share with you in response to this uh, idea of how do we become better parents, help I'm a parent, is you have to learn to improve your parenting style. Key word is the word style, your parenting style. Let's talk about that word for a moment. Parenting is a process that seeks to accomplish a goal. We just described that, and it certainly requires skill. But before we look at the skills of parenting, I think it's vital for us to look at the style of parenting, styles of parenting. A style is a particular way you go about something. Everybody has a style. You have a style in terms of how you live your life. You have a style in terms of the way you dress. You have a style when it comes to parenting. It's very clear when you study parents uh, and just psychologically and sociologically as well as you look at the concept of parenting in the Bible, you can see that certain parenting styles are more effective than others. And so we have to learn something about how we are parenting, what is our style. And what I hope that you will do as we go through this next segment today and the next several things that I'll talk about is I hope that you'll do some analysis in your own life about what kind of style you have as a parent and what adjustments you need to make accordingly because some work better than others. I'm going to take you through four, first of all, that are sort of common vernacular styles in our culture today, and then I'll get a bit more professional with you and lay out four that uh, sociologists and psychologists describe for us that are consistent with Scripture as well. So let's take a look at sort of a common concept when it comes to parenting styles. The first style of parenting is a style called helicopter parents. A helicopter parent is a parent that just has this tendency to, what does a helicopter do? Hover. They just hover, hover over their child all the time. It's always on top of them. And I say they hover and smother, okay? And so because they're over the top of their child all the time, they're always protecting their child from this, that, or the other thing, and they're always around and making decisions for them. What happens is that child never begins to develop a lot of grit on their own and capacity on their own to make good decisions about their own life. And so mom and dad sort of just have the wings going all the time, hovering over the top of them and smothering their potential impossibilities, okay? If you're a, if you're a helicopter parent, you need to clip your wings. Amen, okay? It's time to clip your wings, all right? The next one, helicopter parents, the second one I'll talk about for a few moments are snowplow parents. Snowplow parents are the parents that, what does a snowplow do? It plows, right? Okay, that's, all, that's what it does. And so when there's a big, big, massive amount of snow, snowplow comes along. You've seen it move massive amounts of snow. That's what a snowplow parent does. It always moves all the obstacles out of the way for their child. So their pathway is always easy. And so if there's any problem that comes up, mom or dad fixes it for the child. They're always in the fixing mode for their child. They're always getting all the obstacles out of the way so that child can have an easy pathway in life. Again, the challenge with being a snowplow child to parent is what it does to your child. Again, it robs them of the capacity of developing the spiritual and emotional uh, relational muscles that they need. Sometimes your, pro- your children need to know how to learn with, to deal with some problems on their own. Amen? So they've got to learn to develop some grit on the inside. So if you're a helicopter parent, you need to clip your wings. If you're a snowplow parent, you need to turn up the heat and melt the snow around you, okay? You need to make some decisions to say you're not going to plow your way through for your children. The third one, what does it say on your notes, is the 
tiger parents. You know what the tigers are, right? They're the aggressive ones. The key word here for this, they're very demanding, highly demanding. Perhaps the best way I can describe a tiger parent is that they're, they set a bar for their child, and as soon as the child reaches that bar, they're always setting it higher. There's never, there's never satisfaction. There's never a sense in which that child ever really accomplishes. And so the child feels like, I can never do enough to succeed. I'm always working to try to be better. Now, there's a good side of that. It certainly brings out uh, great potential and accomplishment, but it can also bring great frustration and have great impact upon the self-esteem of a child as well. But tiger parents are always wanting to raise that bar higher. They want their kids to be the smartest and the best and the sharpest with everything possible in their life, and they hold the bar really, really high that actually many times is unattainable for that child and very frustrating for them. Then the next one that we'll talk about here just for a moment is what we'll call the teddy bear parents. You all know the teddy bear parents, don't you? The teddy bear parents, they're always coddling their children and pampering their children. And they're like this cuddly source of comfort for their children all the time because they have one objective in life. They so desperately want to be their child's friend. Oh, I want my child to like me. Well, I would say it's, it's certainly valuable to be friendly to your child. You ought to be a friendly parent. I think that's a good thing. But you know, God never assigned you the responsibility, first and foremost, to be your child's friend. He assigned you the responsibility to be your child's parent. Okay? There's a big difference, right? Because sometimes if you're always living to make your child like you, you're going to make a lot of adjustments on their behalf that will not be good for them. And so sometimes it's really, really good if your child says, I don't like you. Awesome. Hallelujah. That's great. I'm doing my job. Okay. You don't like me? Awesome. I must be doing something right. So your kids are not going to like you all the time, but the teddy bear parent cannot stand it when that child is upset with them. They're going to do everything possible to calm them, and they become the comforter in the child's life all the time because I just, please like me, please, please, please like me. They don't want to suffer any rejection from their children. All of these represent, from a common vernacular perspective, the ways in which the styles in which we often will parent. I'll say something else about this while we're on, and we'll look at the last four that we'll look at together in just a couple of moments. The way that you parent your children is usually a reflection of how you were parented in one of two ways, okay? Not always the case, but, but, but many times the case. If you were parented well by your children, chances are you picked up this patterns from your own parents, and so you said, that worked pretty good, so I'm going to do it that way, and so you probably parent a lot like your parents parented, okay? And so you learned from them. That was the only model that you had, okay? Uh, on the other side of the coin, if you had a bad role model or bad parents, bad parenting situation, there's a, high, a great chance that, that maybe you resented that and you have reacted to it, and you've gone to the opposite side of what your parents, how your parents treated you, or somewhere in the middle, but you have... From your past, you've picked up a style. Whether you realize it or not, you have a style of parenting. 
You have a way in which you go about it. So being aware of it is extremely helpful in learning how to actually invest in your children to accomplish the goal that we're talking about in this series or this part of the series together. So I'm going to take now four other words that are given to us in more psychological terms. I'm not preaching psychology today. I'm simply drawing from the field of psychology to help you understand some terms that relate to family structure. And we're going to ultimately go back to the Bible and understand how this fits in the context of Scripture. there are four types of parenting that psychologists refer to uh, in terms of how we approach our responsibilities. The first one is the authoritarian parent. The authoritarian parent is the parent that lives on the basis of a lot of rules and fear. They establish an environment of home. There's a lot of rules there. You better obey the rules or I'm going to kill you. That's pretty much it, okay? If you don't do what I tell you to do and don't do it right now, then you're going to be in really big trouble. And so the environment of the family of the authoritarian parents is there's a lot of fear there. There's a lot of, a lot of rules and very little, notice this, very little relationship. The relationship really doesn't exist very much because you're in this mode of making your children do things exactly right and be perfect in the way they live their lives. And so, and if they don't, you're threatening them all the time with a variety of punishments. And so there's an environment of fear that exists. So my question, are you an authoritarian parent? Is that the tenor? Is that the tone? Is that the environment of your family? Do, do, do your kids feel afraid in your household? Is that what is the mark of your home? The second one that we're talking about here is the permissive parent. The permissive parents, very much like the teddy bear parent, and the key word that the permissive parent uses frequently is the word everything is yes. Now, by the way, this is okay if you're a grandparent. I'm a grandparent. Our house is the house of yes. You want Coke at 10 in the evening? That's fine, okay? Candy at midnight? No problem. I'm sending you home tomorrow, okay? Not a problem at all, okay? So it's all yes at my house, okay? Every time one of my seven grandchildren comes, it's just whatever you want. That's fine. Tear the house down if you want to. Whatever it is you want to. The answer is yes, okay? But when you're a parent, you better have some no's in your vocabulary, okay? Grandparents can have all yes, but... Parents, you got to have some no's, okay? Because if you don't, you've all met kids like this who are living in an environment of a permissive, you've seen them at the mall. They're going crazy. They're, tra- they're going through the stores and turning everything over. They're under lacking any control at all because you can't control with a, with a yes all the time. Sometimes you have to say no. Does God ever say no to you? Of course he does. And so God has a yes and God has a no. And so permissive parents have this yes mentality oftentimes, again, because they, they don't want to get in the way of their children. They, they don't want to have their children not like them in, in some way. The third one that we'll talk about today is the neglectful parent. I want to give you another word for this. This is the word that might be more effective, disengaged. Disengaged. Obviously, neglect can speak to the realm of physical neglect, the lack of taking care of a child from the standpoint of food, shelter, and clothing. But generally speaking, in our culture today, while that happens to some degree, it's not the predominant thing, but there's a predominant dimension of neglect that I want to talk about for a moment. It's the emotional and social and relational neglect of children. 
See, the neglectful parent is disengaged with their child. They really don't know what's going on with their children. They're unaware of what's happening in their lives. And that's very much what happens in our world today. We have parents that have no idea of the, the world that their children live in. They don't know their children's friends. They don't know their children's social media involvement. They don't know their children's activity on the web. They don't know what their children are watching in terms of video content and what kind of music they're listening to. They're disengaged with their child. Oh, they may be in the same house, but they're not engaged in the activity of being aware of what's going on with that child in a meaningful way. And so what happens is that child is having to raise themselves, if you will, in certain dimensions because they're not getting parental input. Your child needs your input. Your child needs to know that you're watching over what they do. Your child needs to have you ask them about their friends. Better yet, your child needs to know that you're going to meet their friends, okay? You're going to know who their friends are. You're going to find out something about their friends. Your child needs to know that you're going to be aware of where they are on social media. Your, your child needs to understand that you're going to be aware of what they're doing when they're looking at the websites and you're paying attention to what's going on and that activity of their life, the kind of videos they're watching and television there. You say, well, I don't want to invade in the privacy of my child. You better be willing to invade some level of their privacy to know what's going on with them, to be aware of their activity. I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean being aware and engaged with their life so that you can bring some protection to them. Amen? Okay. You need to be aware of what's happening with them. And that's the role and job of a parent. My parents checked out all my friends, and sometimes they told me, you can't have that person as a friend. Why? Because they're not going to be good for you, but I like them. I don't care if you like them. They can't be your friend because they're going to lead you down the wrong path. And I can tell you, standing here today, I'm grateful for a mom and dad that were engaged in my life that way. Amen? Okay? And part of our world today, part of the problem with our world today is we have, we, have, we have homes and families with disengaged parents. They have no clue in terms of what's really going on with their children, and so they don't bring guidance to their children in vital areas that would be essential and necessary. I'll give you an example of this. I know parents that will put a six- or seven-year-old eight-year-old in a room with a computer by themselves, give them access to it. Got real quiet just then, didn't it? Okay. You said, what's wrong with that, Pastor? Let me show you what's wrong with that. Let me show you how dangerous that is. I want you to be honest with me on this response. How many of you at some point in time in your life, as you were innocently searching for something on the web, as you're going through innocently searching for something that was, was a, maybe a product you were looking for or some information you were looking for, you ended up seeing something that was detrimental morally or degrading morally that you wish you had not seen and you were not intending on seeing. Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Come on. If you're not raising your hand right now, you know what that's about, okay? Right? Everybody has. If you've, gone, you've gone through that process, okay? Let me ask you. If you've got a six- or seven-year-old innocently in their room looking at a computer screen with no mom or dad around and no monitoring going on in their life, is it possible that they might land on something like that as well? Of course it is. Do you, do you want your kids, you want their innocence robbed at six or seven years of age? Do you want them seeing things that 
Maybe some of us didn't see until we're 18 or 19 or 20 years of age. Do you want them seeing that kind of stuff at an early age? No, you want to protect them from it. And so you don't want to be neglectful. So you don't think that neglectful is all about not giving them food and shelter and clothing. You can, you can give them all that kind of stuff. You can give them great education. You give them all kinds of things and still be neglecting what's really going on in their life. It's a disengagement process. Got it? Okay. Let's go to the next one. Everybody still my friend now? So far, okay, okay. Just want to make sure, okay? I want you to be my friend. You got to be my friend, okay? So, okay. Even pastors want friends. Isn't that something, okay? The last one is authoritative. I'm going to give you four words with authoritative here. An authoritative parent provides at least four things they provide structure. Discipline, love, and affirmation. Four things. Let's talk about these four things. This is the parenting style. We're in the home. There's structure. What is structure? Structure is is rule. There's some order there, okay? This is what we do here, and this is not what we do here. This is what we expect of you. Here are your chores. Here are your responsibilities. There's some things that we want you to do in the family. This is our, how our family operates. It has some rules. We have some house rules here, okay? And some house rules, they're reasonable. They're, they're things that everybody can do. But we all live by these rules in this house. And so there's some structure to our home. It's not, it's not a chaotic, wild place where everybody just does whatever they want to do when they want to do it. No, there's structure in our home. Why is structure important? Because structure brings security. Remember this, okay? Structure always brings security. I'll come back to this later on in the series. With structure... For it to be effective, there has to be the second word. And what is that word? Say it with me. What is it? Discipline. Because discipline, and by the way, discipline is not a bad word. I think we've made it a bad word, but it's not a bad word. The root word for discipline is disciple, okay? Disciple, okay? Anybody want to be a disciple of Jesus? I do, right? What does it mean to be a disciple? To be a disciple, the basic meaning of the word is to be a student, to be a learner. You're learning things. And so the concept of discipline is to provide an environment or situations that bring about learning, okay? Discipline is different than punishment. See, a good, healthy home is not oriented toward punishment. A good, healthy home is oriented toward Discipline, there's a difference because discipline is training for better behavior. Punishment is making someone feel bad for what they've done, but discipline is fo- focused on future behavior. Okay, There's a difference there. So discipline is when I have broken or violated the structure, then somebody's going to help me learn the value of that structure by helping me to engage in discipline. And I will tell you something. If you don't have some discipline in your home, your kids are not going to be disciplined at school, and ultimately they will not be disciplined in society. 
They're not going to be disciplined around because the, the basic training place for structure and discipline is not school and not society, but the basic training place for structure and discipline is in your house, okay, is in your home. And it's not the school's job to put these things into, into your child's life. Hopefully, they add to them. It's not the church's job to put these two things in your life. Hopefully, we add to them. But it's your job as a parent to provide godly structure and godly discipline. That is your job, okay? With me today? Still love me. Just want, am I still your friend? Just want to make sure, okay. What's the next word? Love, okay? Love has to permeate the environment as well. And so in an environment of an authoritative family, there's structure, there's discipline, but it's not authoritarian. There is love that's surrounded. In other words, what we say is this. Although we have structure and discipline, even though you violate the structure and there are times that we have to discipline you, we still love you. We love you. We care about you. We want, we want you to be the best that you can be in your life. And so we're invested in you. But we love you. There's relationship that goes along there. And then there's also affirmation. What is affirmation? Affirmation is not just looking at the bad things your child does, but finding the good things they do as well and affirming them for the good they do and for the, for the qualities they possess. And so you're ac accentuating not just the negative side of discipline, but also the positive side of the qualities they have in their life. Okay. I want you to look at your notes with me for a moment. Look, look down at those notes. Look at those, those four words you just wrote down. Authoritarian, permissive, neglectful, and authoritarian. Just look at them for a moment. All through all of our campuses, look at them. Which of the four best describes God? What? Authoritative. Does God give you structure? Oh, you better believe he does. It's called the Bible, Okay. This is your structure. God says, this is how I want you to live. Here are my house rules, okay? This is how I want you to behave. This is how I want you to live. These are the rules of my house. You want to be a part of my family? This is how I want you to live. And it's not too hard. I'll give you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. But these are the rules. Here's the structure that you're to live by. By the way, when you violate God's structure, do you ever experience discipline? Anybody ever been disciplined by God? Of course you have, okay? Sometimes your discipline is not even necessarily coming from God. It's just the logical consequences of your bad decisions, but they teach you not to do that again in the same way. And so God, in his care for us, provides structure and he provides discipline, but also God creates an environment of love for us. And he says this, even when you mess up, I still love you. Even when you break the structure, violate the structure, even when I have to bring discipline, my discipline is an expression of my love for you, and God never stops loving you. Anybody want to shout hallelujah right there? God never stops loving you. God never gives up on you. God never says, you're out of here. You're done. I'm through with you. If you don't believe that, read the story of the prodigal son who went and, and wasted everything in wild living, and he made the decision to come back home to daddy. And he said, I'll just go back home and be a servant. And the Bible says, as the, as the prodigal son is coming home, you can read about this in Luke chapter 15, the father runs out and meets him and throws his arms around him and he kisses him and he says, get me a robe and get me some sandals and give me a ring to put on his finger. Let's have a party because my son that was dead is now alive again. And he celebrated the reality of a child that came back home to him. All right. That's the father that we serve. Okay. 
And so there is structure, yes. There is discipline there, there, yes. But there's also this consistency of love, unconditional love that is never violated in the heart of God and what he calls us to do toward our children as well. And then there's affirmation. God not only corrects us at times, but he also brings us to the awareness that we are affirmed. We belong to him. We're a part of his family. We're a child of God. We're a part of the beloved. That There are all kinds of wonderful things that God says about us as his children. He affirms us. So here's what I want you to see, and psychologists have proven this. Of the four main styles of parenting, what are they again? Authoritarian, permissive, neglectful, and authoritative. Which one do you think psychologists have proven to be the best approach to parenting? The authoritative, exactly right. So isn't it amazing that it takes science a while to catch up with God, okay? But God's always right. God's always right. By his model, by his example, he says, this is who I am. And by his instruction, this is how I want you to be. And when God says it's right, it's the right way to live. So my challenge for you this weekend is really this. We're going to continue the theme for the next three weeks. So let me say this before I say this last challenge for you. Let me really encourage you. This series that I'm giving you, it's very practical. It's very, it, it, I, don't, I haven't taught this material in a long time. It's, the fr- it's, it's fresh material. Actually, I've, I've written this material freshly uh, from years ago. I've done, done some of these seminars, but this is all fresh material uh, for you. And so for the next three weeks, as I continue this series, there are people in your workplace that are struggling with this, this very thing that I'm talking about. Help, I'm a parent. They don't know what to do with their kids. And this can be one of the most valuable times when you can invite somebody to church over the next three weeks, all right? And I encourage you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, to say, you know what? You need to come to church with me next weekend because our pastor is talking about help. I'm a parent, and this is going to be valuable to you. And here's something else. There'll be a byproduct of that. Not only will they learn principles, but some of them who don't know Jesus will meet Jesus over the next three weeks because you invited them. And I can tell you there will never be a greater joy inside of you other than your own salvation than for you to have invited someone else to church and for them to meet Jesus because of your invitation. So can I encourage you to do that over the next several weeks? Bring people to church with you. Uh, for this series. But let me say this last thing as we're concluding. Here's your challenge. I really want to encourage you as you go home this week to think about these two things this week. Just think about two things. Do I understand the goal of parenting? What is my win? What does a win look like? And go back and review what I talked about in terms of the goal of parenting. And then the second thing, what's my style? Am I authoritarian? Am I permissive? Am I neglectful? Am I learning something about how to be authoritative? And here's the thing to remember. Don't let that condemn you. If, you, if you. if you're not in the right place, the good news is you can begin to make changes that can put you in a better place. Amen? And it's never too late to change. It is never too late to change. Say it with me. It is never too late to change. God can work change in our lives, and that change is valuable to all of us when we respond to it. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we've had this weekend to study your word. We're grateful for uh, the instruction you're giving us about parenting. And thank you that you're the best parent of all, Lord. You love us with a love that's beyond anything we can imagine. You've given us great structure for our lives, Lord. And you, you bring discipline to bear on us when we need it. You affirm us in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for being such a wonderful, wonderful, good, good father. I pray that you'd help each of us to think about our own lives. We pray in the next few weeks you'd help us to really begin to reflect upon what you've called us to be. We want to raise up a generation behind us that will go further, faster than we've ever gone in our lives because we've invested greatly in them. 
for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.